When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Melissa Frarier didn't fit in with the other teenage girls at school. I was not having the crushes on the young men. I realized I was having crushes on the girls instead. At 16 years old, she had her first lesbian relationship. And by the time she was in college, Melissa had embraced a lesbian lifestyle. For 10 years, Melissa went from one failed relationship to the next. Her life was disintegrating. I was involved homosexually. I was not having successful relationships. I was abusing alcohol on almost a daily basis, doing the drugs on the weekend. I was an emotional cutter. I was overweight. I was not healthy. And life was becoming more and more unmanageable. After many spiritual conversations with her boss, Melissa asked her live-in lesbian partner to go to church. She said yes. Melissa's partner also made a commitment to Christ. And it took time to work out the complexities of their relationship. Uh, we repented of sexual behavior, but yet we still shared a bedroom together and a bed together. And then time unfolded, and that didn't seem right. And then eventually realized, we, we can't live together. That's not right. We need to move apart. And how God fully separated our lives. And that was then in 1994. Melissa sought counseling through Exodus International a ministry that promotes freedom from homosexuality through the power of Jesus Christ. There, she was encouraged in her new life. How God healed those wounds in my heart, and how He began to teach me, woman is good, femininity is good, she's equal to men and masculinity, and that both share that crown, that dignity of creation. For a number of years, Melissa has been on the staff of Focus on the Family. She travels around the country, offering hope to those living in homosexuality. I have so many points of reference of who I used to be versus who I am now and what my life is like now. It, it is, it's radically two different people, but so much is different. Like, how did you do that, Lord? How did you do that? And thank you for doing that. Thank you so much, Lord. on yeah I'm Michelle Laurie and this is the nitty gritty committee stories about the guts and the glory of life and in this episode we learn about gay conversion therapy the thriving industry built around the idea that you can cure gay people 
What we just heard there was Melissa's ex-gay testimony, and there are hundreds, thousands of these things online. Some are pretty straightforward. My name is David. I'm 44 years old, and this is the testimony of how Jesus Christ saved me from 27 years of homosexuality. Some are full of passion. As I look back, I see that the devil deceived me, and he deceived many, many uh, thousands and thousands of others into believing that we could uh, be happy. You know, that's the deception that this is a happy life. This is a gay life. This is a gay pride. We are happy. None of that is true. None of that is true. And some are, dare I say it, pretty flamboyant. I was panicking every day. I was in terror. I didn't know if God would forgive me because I felt such a consciousness of my sinfulness and just my utterly deserving hell. So ultimately, um, I was taken against my will into the San Francisco General Hospital by this woman who was a main witch in the city. And I cried out to Jesus in that moment while they were, the police even tied me up. I mean, it was like a major, major um, ordeal. When I prayed in that moment, the Lord started filling my heart with peace, tangible peace. My heart rate went down. I knew I was going to be okay. I went into the psych ward of the San Francisco General Hospital. They were saying that I was crazy. But what they all have in common is the narrative that these people once were gay and now are very grateful that that's no longer the case. Most of these people seem to have participated in some kind of organised treatment program or gay conversion therapy. Our first testimony with Melissa made reference to her time with Exodus International, which was the world's biggest organisation dedicated to, in their words, facilitating the reorientation of same-sex attraction. We'll hear more about them later, including the rather juicy details of the organisation's closure. Another leading light in the field is Dr Joseph Nicolosi. He calls the service he offers reparative therapy, and he's written lots of helpful books about it with titles like Healing Homosexuality and Advice for Parents on Preventing Homosexuality. Dr Nicolosi also runs weekend workshops for people wishing to be cured of their same-sex attraction, These weekends are called Journey Into Manhood, and they sound something like this. What is your greatest fear this weekend? My greatest fear this weekend is letting you down. Thank you. See the next man. Everyone is heterosexual. The idea that some people are naturally homosexual or naturally gay is just a a social construct. So when you have an individual who has same-sex attraction, we see it as something went wrong developmentally. And we try to resolve the issue and put them back on the path toward their natural heterosexuality. That's the philosophy of it. When we say that people can change, we don't mean that people become someone else. We mean that people change into a deeper self. They become much more of who they really are. They feel more authentic. At least this is what they tell me, and this is what I've experienced in my own life. Feeling far more authentic, feeling far more deeply grounded in who I am, feeling pleased with who I am, feeling satisfied with my life. That's some pretty positive change. 
Okay, so clearly that perspective flies in the face of the accepted contemporary wisdom that homosexuality is your authentic self. If you're gay, the idea that denying your sexuality could bring you closer to your real self seems nonsensical at best, and at worst, really dangerous. And yet, there they are, person after person after person, testifying that they've never been happier than they have been since they flatly refused to be gay. After watching these things for days on end, I have to admit I I feel a little bit queasy about dismissing these people. I mean, who the hell am I to tell them they're wrong about their own feelings? We don't hear much about gay conversion therapy in Australia, but it's definitely happening here. In fact, a friend of mine, Anthony Manchetti, comedian and producer, has his own story with gay conversion right here in Australia. That's right. They tried to pray the gay away. Mm -hmm. Uh, So mum and dad, uh, when I came out to them, didn't handle it all that well. The fact that I was gay, um, they really freaked out and they wanted me to go to church to a gay conversion program and try and convert uh, into heterosexuality. Um, which didn't exactly work out, mm. but I went along. Like there was a lot of guilt with it, and for the most part, I wanted to do it myself as well because of the guilt that I felt from them. Uh, and growing up in the church, you know, you're told that you're going to go to hell, and as a kid, you're shown pictures of uh, people burning, and you you're told that you know you'll be eternally in flames and tortured for all. You know, it was terrifying stuff. Yeah. Um, So when that sits in your psyche and you feel that you are wrong for having feelings that are natural, um, yeah, you want to kind of try and do something about it. I've got six-year-olds and I I know that I'm really conscious of how their imaginations are really powerful and how things really take root in their brains. Suggestions just blow up in their minds. Exactly. So how young were you when you felt as though you... You had to worry about this. Do you remember? Fairly young. Um, I was in Sunday school from the age of five Mm -hmm. or six. So that's where it was all instilled. And then I started having um, uh, same-sex attractions around 14. Um, And then I tried to kind of ignore that and ignore it. And um, eventually I came out at about 1920. And that's when the gay conversion program started. So yours wasn't like a boot camp where they sent you. No, not know. like the big American ones where. Yeah, you know, I've just there heard are about some. Them. Yeah, the Exodus, the Exodus program, and all that. Exodus, yeah. There was a um, a guy that was part of Exodus that would fly out and speak to us, but ours was like a weekly um, kind of meeting, mm. and I had a like it's kind of like AA, like you meet each week and you know uh, you talk about how you're coping with conversion and. Uh, they pray for you. And uh, I had a joke in my show, uh, which was um, I stood up on my first day and said, hi, my name's Anthony Menchetti. I'm gay, but I'm trying to quit. Yeah. Down to one fag a day, have one every morning with my coffee. Um, yeah. So it was a lot like that. And the irony is like they put a pile of uh, same-sex attracted males in a room together and you're talking about maybe you watched porn that week or maybe you had a fall of another kind, maybe you met a guy in a nightclub. And you're supposed to be completely celibate, and yeah. you're hearing all these stories, and you're like, "Can I have a glass of water?" Oh my god, like, this it's is hot uh, as hell. Yeah, this is hot <laughs> as hell. Your wank bank is just it's like growing <laughs> upon itself, minute by minute. In exactly. there, exactly. Wow. And mm. were the people of all different ages, or was it all young people? Really varied ages. Okay. So. 
there was a guy uh, exactly my age in there and I walked in and he looked exactly like Leonardo DiCaprio. No. I'm like, are you kidding me? I had a massive crush on Leo. Um, And he was the team leader. He'd been made team leader because he'd been celibate the longest, uh, two years apparently. So he was kind of like someone that we all looked up to because we were like, if he can do it at his age, um, everyone else can do it. So... And he's so hot. He's got so many opportunities. Exactly. If he can do it, yeah, exactly. we can all do it. Exactly. So um, we also had a psychologist in, well, so-called psychologist who I later found out got her degree from a home correspondence course. Okay. But she would, um, we'd meet with her once a week. She'd, you know, talk us through the psychology of it um, and obviously pray with us. And then we had uh, Peter, the team leader, for more supportive stuff Um I later had a bit of a fling uh, with the team leader. Oh, good for so you! So that didn't work out. How did well? How did that happen? And how did that feel? And how did it feel afterwards? Um, we so the church basically believes that um, being gay comes from a negative relationship with your dad. So they think if you don't really bond properly with your dad, you're going to end up gay. Is their theory? They blamed your dad. Yeah, everyone's dads. Everyone's dads. Wow. Yeah. So um, they set us up in like a big sporting event where they set us up with uh, members of the church that were married uh, and had families and we were supposed to kind of hang out with them. They were supposed to be like a positive support for us to try and help us refind our heterosexuality. Mm. Um, and for some reason we um, we all got – like everybody was supposed to meet at this sporting event and we were supposed to meet at someone's house initially. And then only me and Peter rocked up. The people that we were supposed to meet went home. Only you and the beautiful Leonardo DiCaprio guy. Yeah. And so we're sitting on the driveway waiting and then we realised that it had been cancelled. We weren't told about it by some freak of nature. Uh Um, And things got a bit heated between us. On the driveway? On the driveway, yeah. A little bit. Parts were racing. Um, and then we ended up going clubbing. (laughs) We went to Connections Nightclub in Perth, uh, the only gay nightclub at the time. I've been to Connections, yes. Yeah, it's still going, I think. So was there a sense of, look, we're just going to go to this place, we're just going to have a drink, we can do this, we're just mates, hetero mates. There was, look, he said, do you want to go out? And I was pretty naive, so I didn't even know that out meant gay clubbing. I was oh. like, oh, maybe we'll go to dinner. Where are we going? Yeah. Sure. And then we rocked up at Connections and I'm like, wow. And then I walked in and I was like, this place is amazing. Like there were dancers and music and lights and smoke machines. And yeah. I was like, this is the best place I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, of course. So we partied hard. Great. After being repressed for so long. And you got up to some intimacy there in the club? Yeah. God, how how did you both cope? With that afterwards, like, like say um, next day, next back in the group, what? There was a lot of guilt. There was a lot of, um. Well, you've uh, reckoned his, you've wrecked his two year streak for a start. To be honest, I'm not sure the two year streak was that legitimate. Okay. I realized at that time, <laughs> I'm not too sure about it. Uh, for me, I had heaps of guilt. Um, and he went and he told the, um, psychologist lady, he confessed to her that he'd had a slip up. So he got, um, de- like, what's it, like put 
off his pedestal. Demoted. Demoted, that's the word I'm looking for. Oh, no. Um, and, yeah, I had to go back into, I had to leave the group and go back into just private counselling with the psychologist to mm. get me back on track. He had to do the same. Uh, and that's when I left the group and oh, decided to bugger. keep going out to Connections. Yeah, you, you <laughs> left the group but you joined Connections. That's right. Did your parents know that you joined the, that you left the group? Um, yes, they did. They weren't happy about it. Um, there were a lot of tears. Look, they came from a really good place, yeah. um, but they were pretty upset. And, you know, back then you had the Grim Reaper ads on TV with, you know, AIDS, AIDS and all that stuff. And mum's like, you're going to get AIDS. And it was pretty horrific. It was a horrific time. I mean, now it's a lot better because a lot of people are coming out, um, which make it easier for younger people coming out. But mm-hmm. back then it was really hard. Um, gay people were really bullied in schools. Mm-hmm. Um, just a very different time. Yeah. I know that these days though, they, that well, I've been told that um, gay conversion therapy still exists in Australia, but it's gone underground. Mm, exactly. Um, what do you know of that? Well, mine was fairly underground as well. It wasn't, okay. you know, there weren't big posters about it um, around the church or anything, but... Um, I think so far as Australia, it's probably quite similar. I mm. dare say it wouldn't have changed that much. No. And that there's also an idea that celibacy is the way forward, that some modern groups go, okay, we get it, you can't help being gay, but you can help acting on it. Exactly. And that, in my opinion, creates a lot of very unhealthy mental states. Mm. Um, but they believe that if you starve... Look, their analogy was, and this is ridiculous, uh, they said that... If you lock someone in a room and you don't give them anything to drink and they're allergic to orange juice, um, and then after, say, a few days you give them nothing but orange juice to drink, they'll overcome that allergy to orange juice and start liking the orange juice. That was their analogy. So So if we starve you of sex and then eventually give you a woman to have sex with, cured. And she'll feel really good about herself (laughs) and special and it's so good for her mental state, might I say. The other thing, I mean, did you, yeah, were you encouraged to, to date girls and like, were they trying to pimp you out to girls? Um, <laughs> not pimp out, but there was a lot of pressure on myself to do that. So I did, I did date a few girls when yeah. I was younger. Um, I tried to go there sexually. Um, one girl who I'd been seeing for maybe three weeks, um, invited me to a house and, she was pretty out there and pretty comfortable and pretty liberated. Um, and I walked in and she'd moved the TV into the bedroom and there were all candles around the bed. And I was like, oh, my God. I started sweating. My heart rate was a 1,000 miles an hour. I was like, this is so awkward. And I said, I'm really sorry. I, I can't do this. Uh, I never told her why. So I'm sure she felt shit as well. Yeah. Um, and then... You know, it was a few ex- a few experiences like that where I went, I can't, I just can't do this. So, I just can't do it. I learnt, I, I started the long process of accepting myself, which, to be honest, took a good ten years, I think at least. Yeah. And to be, you know, to have intimacy with another guy, and then to not feel guilt or not feel like you had to pray afterwards, or to not have nightmares, and that side of things, it was. Nightmares. Certainly damaging for the younger part of life. Yeah, absolutely. God, it's it's um, it's really so sad to think about little Anthony feeling so shit about himself. Mm. 
and so how did you begin that like that that pathway back to yourself um how did you ever reconcile your spirituality do you have any do you have any religion now i don't know that i have fully reconciled um i know that um I certainly can't change and I know that I'm happy with who I am now. Mm-hmm. I know that the people in my life are amazing people that I value and love. Um, and that's what gets me through. Like I'm not tormented by, you know, the idea of religion like I was. Uh, and that's only through, I mean, doing comedy I think helped a lot in that aspect as well because there was so much support Um doing the show in various places all around, you know, like Edinburgh Fringe, but then really remote places uh, like Kalgoorlie, Mm -hmm. Alice Springs that are really redneck and rough Mm -hmm. and standing up in front of a pile of really kind of rough and tough miners and saying you're gay is a terrifying thing to do, but doing things like that helped me overcome it. And their level of acceptance was amazing. I never got heckled or... Um, the comedy aspect in life helped me really overcome it and made me feel good about it. I'm like, well, these are some of the roughest guys I've ever met. One uh, club I did a show at, they were mopping blood off the steps <laughs> as I walked in because someone had had a punch up the night before wow. in the middle of the desert. And I was Tough like, joint. And you're yeah. about to walk in there and go, hi. Yeah, but. I'm they gay loved and I'm okay it. with it now. Yeah, and it was great. And I made a lot of friends and. I don't know. Well, like I think the acceptance. That they're probably they're probably shocked and appalled as I have been. I just had no idea gay conversion therapy still existed mm. or existed as recently as the last hundred years. I mean, yeah. it's shocking to me. I feel terrible that it's allowed to exist in our culture. Yeah. I mean, Dan Andrews, the Premier of Victoria, in just January this year said that he's moving to ban it. And this is where this conversation comes about. Well, then it just kind of goes underground and you don't really know what's happening anymore but it's happening. It is. It's happening a lot, isn't it? Especially, I think, in America, it's a lot bigger over there. Yeah. Yeah, and really um, really heavily publicised as well. Yeah, they're very proud of it. Yeah, very. Even though the guy who ran the Exodus program decided, changed his mind. He changed his mind. He closed down the program and said, I mean, his go is that he's married to a woman and that's the relationship he's going to push forward with, mm-hmm. but he's accepted that he's gay and he can't change it. Right. Isn't that fascinating? It is fascinating. I didn't know that, actually. Yeah. Right. I found out from my other friend I spoke to the other day, Anthony, as well. Yes. Oh, I, Anthony Van Brown. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I do know him. Anthony yeah. Van Brown. Yeah. yeah, I've done a lot of work with him, actually. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. Because he went through exorcisms and... I know. He was... Everything. Another... A generation. Generation before me, mm. and that's when the the real... There was a medical aspect and it was crazy. He really went through hell. Yeah. yeah. Just people were given lobotomies and... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Because it was seen as a mental illness. Yeah. So, and you know, you watch movies like Far From Heaven where people have their brains strapped up to electrodes and they're showing... Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Images of men on men, and if there's an arousal, they get electrocuted, and it's crazy what people went through in those times. Yeah. There's been a lot of talk this week about how uh, how hard it makes life for LGBTI people, little things like opposing marriage equality. And I mean, I say little, listen to me. Things like opposing marriage equality, mm. how powerful they are actually to the community. So epically powerful yeah. because we're obviously discriminated against mm. and um, we're seen as, I think, when the government opposes us from doing things that should be natural and should be free, we're seen as a, a kind of lesser class, like like we don't deserve the rights that everybody else deserves, which is appalling. And natural is a really interesting word, isn't it? Because we talk so much about the old days when people said homosexuality was unnatural. And yeah. yet, if you're not allowed to do something as natural as getting married... That puts it back in the unnatural basket, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. And it's a strain on your relationship too, to be honest. Really? Because, um, you know, if your partner gets sick, um, you don't have the rights to go and see them in hospital or, you know, it's family only. Like there's, it's, it extends across so many levels where mm. it's horrific that we have to live in a world with it being so modern as it is and we can't get married or we can't express our love or... Mm crazy it's unfathomable if you had any anything to say to anybody who's listening who uh someone's helpfully pointing them towards a a weekly meeting at the church that might help them overcome their funny gay feelings what would you say i would say it comes down to acceptance it's a form of bullying um you know unfortunately when i went through gay conversion school there was a young kid that killed himself i think unless you Unless you accept yourself as you are and accept your lifestyle, you're never going to be happy. And we've seen people that maybe live so-called heterosexual lives for 20, 30 years. In the end, I think it all comes back. Their partners get hurt. They get hurt. Their families get hurt. It, their children may then lead to a new generation of unhealthy thinking. I think it has to stop with each individual person. And also I have to say a massive thank you to you being in the media and giving us a voice as well and a platform to be able to share our feelings and and um you know make it known so thanks well to you're you welcome well. but it's just it's i feel embarrassed that i didn't realize you needed it i didn't i thought i didn't realize you still needed help getting that platform mm. that's my old friend anthony manchetti there talking about his experience at gay conversion school in perth we mentioned another anthony in that chat Anthony Venn Brown, who's sort of your go-to guy when it comes to discussing these issues in Australia. He's even been featured on a segment on Sunrise called Monique's Everyday People. I was an ordained minister with the Assemblies of God, which is a Pentecostal denomination. That's one of the fastest growing in Australia. So how did you get into the ministry? Um, well, it was something that I felt very called to do. I was married for 16 years, and they were great years. They really were great years. But what happened was um, I met a guy and I fell in love with him. Talk about dropping a bomb. 
When I've made that decision, Monique, to leave the ministry, I knew that I would lose everything. There'd been times when I had seriously considered suicide. I went through about three weeks of um, exorcisms in New Zealand when I was going through Bible college there. There's still that belief, you know, that, that God waves the magic wand and makes homosexual people heterosexual. Now, today, um, there's something wonderful that I have that I never had all those years as a preacher, and what I have today is integrity. Surely it's taken a lot of courage for you to tell your story. Mm. Well, yeah, it has taken courage, and it means that I'm often the target of various accusations and things, but, you know, in the end, the most important thing is that I know I can put my head on the pillow at night knowing that I am living an honest, truthful life. And that must feel great. Yes, that does. Hello? Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How do I pronounce your name? Michelle. Michelle? Oh, of course. Just normal. You just say it as you mean it. I Skyped Anthony Venn Brown one Saturday morning to ask him about his experiences with gay conversion therapy. It's not cool now. Everyone's got stupid spellings, but it was cool at the time. Because, you know, the journey to from gay shame to gay pride can be a long one, as it was for me. But eventually I got there. Yeah. <laughs> Today, I, I know there are people who believe that everything is okay now for gay and lesbian people, much easier to come out. And in some contexts, that's true. But there are four areas where you could have great difficulty. Number one, where you live geographically. Yeah. So that could be in a rural area or even in a major city like Sydney, you know, you can walk hand in hand with your partner down the streets in Darlinghurst, do that in some of the outer suburbs and you'll be attacked. Yeah. Um, the other factor, of course, is uh, the family, you know, that some families um, have a very, very strong pull on, on um, conformity. Um, the other, of course, is cultural um, influences. And some cultures, you don't even talk about sex, let alone be gay. Yeah. And then the final one, of course, is religion. Yeah. And, and, and within any of those four contexts, it can be extremely difficult. And some people have all four to deal with. And for some people like you, religion is um, is really a powerful, not only a powerful force in your life, but it's like they feel entitled to your life. That's how I felt reading your your biography. Is like they feel like they're entitled to this aspect of your life to you, correct it if they feel it's wrong. You read a life of unlearning. Yeah. So you know all the intimate details of my life. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, um, we. We are very quick to, um, I think, judge those within religious contexts. But, um, you know, it, uh, there is... The, the thing that I see as the enemy, Michelle, is ignorance. Yeah. That is, that is the real enemy. And sometimes we make the mistake of attacking the people instead of trying to transform the ignorance. And, and that's really been my approach, is to reach out, to create respectful dialogues, to educate, to inform. And, you know, by building relationships where it's not an antagonistic relationship, but, you know, it's a genuine uh, relationship that you build trust, that I've seen people change. I mean, you know, Alan Chambers is a great example. Mm -hmm. 
you know, Alan Chambers, who headed up Exodus. Um, you know, here he is um, marching um, in a few days in a in a pride parade. <laughs> is he really? And of course, just explain Exodus to us. So Exodus, Exodus was the major. Um, ex-gay reparative therapy, conversion therapy um, umbrella organisation in the world. So they had hundreds of organisations under their umbrella. I was really privileged to actually attend the final Exodus conference where Alan Chambers closed it down and said it's over. There were several factors that I've written about, Michelle, that, that, that brought about this transformation. Um, number one was the number of ex-gay survivors who are now telling their stories. Yeah. Um, uh, Alan had also been on a bit of a theological journey, which I don't think a lot of people have realised was major was a major influence in what happened to him. So he moved from a more uh, away from more of a judgmental, evangelical, fundamental stance to one of grace and love. Mm. And, and that, that, of course, brings an amazing transformation. Um, Alan was also in, in midlife. Now, I'm not saying he's having a midlife crisis, but midlife is a time when many of us have to reevaluate re our lives, as I did. And, uh, you know, who are we? Well, what's our meaning in life? Where, where are we going? And, you know, what will we do with the last years of our life? That and, is so um, true, isn't it? I'm 43 now and that is, it's so powerful. It's almost, I would describe it as, as powerful as the biological clock, which I discovered was real when I was 35. Right. And now at 43, I realise suddenly I see my life as a, as a continuum, as a, as a line, but it has an end. And so I'm very concerned with how I want it to look as a, as a whole thing when it's over, you know? Yeah, totally. And, and, of course, you know, for, for those of us that are gay, like myself, you know, that, that here was this thing inside me screaming out, when do I get to live? Yeah. <laughs> you conform to everything, to everybody, and, you know, but, but you've never been yourself. So if, unless we do something about this right now, and I work with a lot of gay and lesbian people um, and assisting them in coming out. Some of them are in straight marriages. And, and that is the time for re-evaluation. That was Anthony Venn Brown, whose memoir, A Life of Unlearning, is still available online. He's also the founder and CEO of Abbey, that's A-double-B-I. It's an LGBTIQ support network with a particular focus on reconciliation with churches. Hello, dear listeners. Monique Bowley here. It's hard to find good podcasts, isn't it? You just scroll through your feed, it's bloody annoying. Save yourself the time-wasting and potential carpal tunnel syndrome and download the Mamma Mia podcast app. It's where all of our brilliant shows live. Shows like This Glorious Mess, Mamma Mia Out Loud, and our latest show, The Mamma Mia Book Club. Shows made by women for women. The Mamma Mia podcast app. It's where all of our shows live, all in one place. It's free, it's easy, and it's now available on both Android and iOS. Just search for the Mamma Mia podcast app in your app store. Dean Beck writes for the Star Observer newspaper and hosted the long-running news and current affairs show On The Line on Joy 94.9. He's written a number of pieces about gay conversion therapy, so I thought he'd be good for a chat, and I thought we should also ask the question, is this just a Christian thing? I was reading that the Hillsong Church is one of the churches that offers a program. 
mm. um, still to this day. Is it is it mainly a Christian thing? I mean, do, do Jewish and Muslim communities have similar programs? They sure do. Oh, okay. Yep, and, and here in Australia too. Not only does it happen a lot, uh, by us pointing the finger at uh, organisations, um, they've, they've changed their language and they've started to shut down and go underground. So when we had organisations set up, we could say, that's what they are, that's what they're doing, mm. that's where they are. And I guess by uh, calling them out, um, they've changed their language. So they now use language like, we love gay people, we just don't love what they do, you know, mm. which is ridiculous. And they, they've they gone underground. So there aren't organisations set up that we can point the finger at anymore. I've read about um, some organisations that have sort of changed their push from um, trying to cure homosexuality to, okay, we understand it exists, but um, you don't have to act on it. So Yeah, and how ridiculous. If yeah. you, I mean, try saying to a, a heterosexual, um, yes, you can marry, you just can't have sex. Yeah. I mean, uh, how stupid is that? So um, I, I think that uh, that celibacy argument mm. is even more insidious because what it's saying is you are permanently damaged mm. as an individual. You can never be whole. Yeah, and you can never participate in life to the full... Extent. Yeah, yeah, and God can never love you fully, mm. or is... at least we won't. So <laughs> you know, yeah. If if I do, you think if I approached my parish priest, I don't have a parish priest, but you know what I mean. If I went to a priest and said my son's gay, would I likely be directed to some kind of program in suburban Australia? Well, it depends what sort of church you went to and uh, what really that individual felt regarding the issue, but in many, 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 uh, particularly Pentecostal evangelical churches, um, they have programs that, uh, you know, try and make you straight um, from pray the gay away to all sorts of weird and wacky uh, routines of, you know, belting pillows with uh, tennis rackets and all sorts of things. Uh, to try and make you what they to more masculine and less attracted to to other men, yeah. which is kind of ridiculous because what they don't get is gay men are attracted to masculinity even if some of them are effeminate. Mm. It's the men that they like, you know. Yeah. Um, same with women. It's the women that they like. And so to try and uh, butcher it up or fem it up, uh, it it doesn't change what the attraction is. Mm. My friend Anthony, uh, the program that he went through, their main belief was that it, it homosexuality grew out of a poor relationship between a boy and his father. They sort of blamed the yeah, fathers. Yeah, look, there's all these uh, bizarre sort of nurture-type models that suggest that is why people are gay. It's not true at all. We're just born that way, you know? Yeah. Well, this is it. Um, I thought everyone realised that now. It's so fascinating. (laughs) You know, from my very privileged perspective, I think, isn't everyone cool now? Don't we all get everything? And um, obviously, you know, marriage equality is a a big step that it's ridiculous we haven't made yet. But you would think that 
praying the gay away or hitting a pillow with a tennis racket. You'd think we'd move past that. Well, we've fortunately moved past uh, electric shock treatment. Um, and exorcism, I think. Well, no. no? Still, uh, there are still uh, churches that practice that um, wow. and that um, suggest that that was going to uh, you know, get the the gay devil out of you, whatever that is. Mm. Um, and the, uh, the, the depth of this damage that is done is lifelong and it is scarring and affects people's relationships, it affects people's um, every... I mean, imagine if every single time you woke up, you knew that there was something wrong with you that mm. you couldn't fix. And no matter how much you tried... Uh, you would fail each and every time. The Premier of Victoria, Dan Andrews, announced that he was banning these programs, um, which I think was a wake-up call for the rest of us who went, wow, really? We didn't know those were still happening. Um, What do you think their chances are, given that that things have gone underground now to a certain degree? What do you think our chances are of of banning this procedure? Well, the... The ex-gay movement, and particularly uh, my producer in the series that I did on uh, Joy 94.9, Inside Ex-Gay, Nathan Despot is his name, and he warns us regarding um, the outright banning of this sort of stuff in that it forces it further underground. Mm. Um, And what we really need is a cultural change in and amongst society. I mean, at its root... Uh, causality. It is the foundation of all homophobia in society. What we're talking about is religiously sanctioned homophobia that has perpetuated so much throughout our Australian culture that that is the root cause of all homophobia. And so what we really need is a societal change towards uh, homosexuality and acceptance of gay people um so banning things whilst it might uh, you know stop organizations starting up um and in the us i know you're familiar with the jonah case which was attacked from a different level it was attacked from a consumer level um like uh the uh by suggesting that you can provide a service and uh, that service was not able to be delivered. So they sued on that level. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm still and, gay and I paid all this money for yeah, this program. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly time. how it... Yeah, yeah. Right. so um, that's how they got around it. But um, look, uh, in February next year, uh, 2017, um, the legislation will come through where um, the uh, health authorities can um, make some... Inquiries, particularly because we don't have regulated uh, counselling in this uh, country either. Mm. Um, so uh, they'll be able to somehow, through the legislation, um, be able to uh, charge people if they're providing this so-called service. Um, how they do that, I'm not quite so sure. But I know that uh, that Nathan has worked um, with uh, some of the legislators in drafting that legislation and. Uh, it will go some of the way to assist things, but ultimately what we do need is a cultural change. Because I guess in Australia people need to submit themselves to these programs ultimately, don't they? I mean, your parents and your church can encourage you, 
But is this a matter of self-hatred and um, low self-esteem in participants? You know, what I'm saying, what I'm asking is if we empowered young gay people more, would we see a drop in these programs? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, yes, ultimately that, that that's what uh, what survivors will tell you, that yes, that is the case. But it's very difficult when you are going to a church-based school and your mm. community is all of the church people and uh, you go to youth group or you go to um, uh, you know, sporting groups that are... Uh, faith-based, all of that, when your entire life is embedded somehow within the church and its community, to suggest that we can uh, change that person overnight without providing them a new community. Because remember, these people are also ostracised by the gay community. Yeah, right. I mean, the gay communities turn around and say, well, just walk away or get over it. Or, you, you know, how can you be so beholden to such a ridiculous value mm. because, you know, they've got their own community too. So th these people are sort of uh, people struggling with their faith and struggling with their sexuality, caught in the middle, and uh, that's where the damage is done. They've got no uh, supportive gay community and their church group makes them wrong. Thank you so much. That is, you've filled in so many gaps for me in such a short period of time. <laughs> Thank you, Dean. Um, well, congratulations for doing it. It's good stuff. No worries. Thank you. I'll talk to you again. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Dean Beck from the Star Observer. Before I go, I'm sure I'm not the only one who was left wondering whatever happened to the Leonardo DiCaprio lookalike from Anthony Manchetti's Gay Conversion School. Anthony says he's lost track of him, but last he heard, Leo had joined the Navy. Seriously. Thanks for downloading this podcast and a big thank you to everyone who's rated it on iTunes. It's very kind of you. Thank you. Thanks also to those of you who've hit me up on Facebook to suggest podcast topics. There are quite a few of them in the pipeline as we speak, so stay tuned. I'll be back with another Nitty Gritty Committee in a fortnight. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.